welcome to Haven't Met Him Yet. It's a parasocial podcast hosted by me. Hello. My name's Sarah. How's it going? I hope you're doing really well. Thank you for coming back for part two of this YouTube-focused episode. Before we jump in, just want to tell you, maybe you've noticed, I'm fairly certain that I'm changing my upload day. Does anyone care about this? Back in the day when I was making YouTube videos in the the aughts, if you will, I hate when people refer to the 2000s as aughts, the aughts. Why do I hate that? I don't know. Does that, is anyone else like a bit perturbed by that? Anyway, when I was making YouTube videos back in the day, it was very important to disclose and market exactly uh, what day you will be uploading every week and stick to that schedule because people depend on that, you know? They live their whole lives by that. I really don't think at this point too many people are just gonna have their lives ruined if I don't upload on the same day. So we're gonna try something new because I've noticed that uh, all my favorite podcasts come out on Thursday. I'm like, there must be something to that, right? Nothing under the armchair umbrella comes out on a Tuesday, I don't think. So, I, you know, I'll take a cue from Dax and Monica and say, we're gonna upload on Thursdays. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I needed an extra two days to edit because I spent all weekend, you know, mowing my lawn and gardening and stuff. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that, um, you know, if there are podcast algorithms, I feel like they appeal to Thursdays more than Tuesdays. It's a strategic choice. Anyway, that's one change that I'm thinking about making. And uh, you've already seen the new podcast art. So what do you think about that? Isn't it, is it an improvement? It's really like, it ends up being such a tiny square that who really cares uh, what it looks like, but um, I like it and that's what counts. Also, I'm putting it out there that the theme song of this show will be changing shortly and that's because I love to mix it up. It may also have to do with the fact that I've been subscribing to Epidemic Sound over the past couple of months that I've been doing this podcast, and it's just a bit too pricey for what I get. <laughs> I do enjoy it. If I'm offered a free subscription in future, I will gladly take it. I think Epidemic Sound is a wonderful service, but you know, with the exchange rate, etc., I'm gonna give it a pass for now. So I do have to change my theme song, and there are some like little jingles that um, come with Spotify for podcasters, which is the app that I use to upload my podcasts. So I might use one of those, but if I, if I happen to have any loyal listeners or just listeners, period, who would enjoy to make me a theme song, you know, I, I'm, I just might use it. I just might use it. If you send them to me, uh, like DM it to me um, on Instagram, at Sarah Supergreat, S-A-R-A-H-S-U-P-E-R-G-R and the number eight. Or if you email it to me, I guess you would have to do that if it's like a MP4 or whatever. It's haven't met him yet at gmail.com. No, it's, sorry, that's not part of it. My email address is haven't met him yet at gmail.com. So I'm just putting it out there that there are some changes afoot 
And um, if you want to make my next theme song, you totally can. It's our theme song. I shouldn't say my theme song. You're a part of this just as much as I am. And that's perhaps the only honest thing that I have said since starting (laughs) this podcast episode today. But regardless, here we are jumping into, you know what, actually, wait, wait, I have another disclaimer, which is that I'm not recording in the closet today. I'm not recording in the dog bed today. I'm recording at my desk in my little office room. Uh, That's another thing I feel weird saying. This is a, a room that is my office, but I feel weird calling it my office, and I should. It's the feminist thing to do. I should just call it my office. That uh, That is what it is. I work in here. But uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't sit right with my spirit, you know? And it just seems a little corporate and boring. And I don't think I'm corporate or boring. So anyway, I'm recording in here. But I feel like there's a, there's a bit of an echo. But I gotta say, the furniture setup is just much more pleasing. It's much more suitable for the podcast environment. Um, my legs aren't going to fall asleep. And my mic has somewhere to rest. And it's just working for me. Those are all my many excuses. All the many things that are going to be different. If you notice that we're shaking things up, it's because we're shaking things up, you know? But let this be a metaphor for life. Because things change. You know, nothing stays the same. Everything is temporary. We're all going to die someday. Let's get into today's episode. So when last we spoke... We were talking about YouTube and YouTubers and how when I started out making YouTube videos, watching YouTube videos, showing up at VidCon, things felt more wholesome. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were. Who's to say? I feel like there was this big wave of like the David Dobricks of the world, the Tana Mojos of the world, TanaCon. If you're in the know, then you know. Mr. Beast. Casey Neistat, the Paul brothers, etc. This is all after my sort of YouTube heyday for the most part. The way parasocial relationships manifest when it comes to YouTubers, it, it's very interesting, particularly when it comes to daily vloggers. It's very interesting because you literally watch these people every single day of their lives. It does only end up being a 10 or 15 minute snippet of someone's day. That's realistically what it is. Uh, They're leaving out a lot. No matter who they are, they're leaving out a good chunk of their lives. But as viewers, it's very easy to fall into the trap of like, I'm friends with this person. I've watched this person grow. Um, And it's, it's, there's a lot of blurred lines as usual in terms of like, what is my relationship with this person? What do I actually know about them? What is true and what is sort of being manufactured by them and by this platform to make me believe that I have a relationship with them? So as we spoke about, this can transpire in a very negative, very pathological sense. It can result in stalking. It can result in murder. It can, it can turn very, very ugly very, very quickly. It's important, no matter what side of the YouTube spectrum you're on, whether you have like a very active subscription feed of all these different YouTubers you're subscribed to, or whether you go on youtube.com to search up like your favorite music videos or something. I don't even know what those people do on that side of the spectrum. 
no matter what, it's important to be aware of like our viewing habits and what our brains are capable of and the connections that they're not able to make. Because at the end of the day, like uh, this is all very new. The internet is very new. In the grand scheme of things, we don't know the effects of these social media platforms on our brains at this point on any sort of like long-term scale. So I feel like it's important to talk about the good things and the bad things, you know, my usual spiel. Today, I want to talk about family channels. This is tricky. This is a touchy one because there's a lot I want to say here and there's a lot that I don't know the answer to and that I don't want to make it seem like I'm making any kind of claim uh, for or against because I don't have children. I feel, and I don't have any kind of, you know, legal background or anything like this. And in this particular situation, it's very easy to pass judgment and it's very easy to confuse the choices that I think I would make with, you know, what someone should do. You know what I mean? Like the internet has no shortage of parental advice, like unsolicited parental advice. If you post one picture of your baby, you're going to get, you're going to get hate. (laughs) You're going to get hate about, I don't know, the way you feed the baby, the way the baby was born. There's a lot of sexism and a lot of just, just horrible stuff there. But I'm going to try and keep it to the facts here and keep it to kind of my, both my own experience and the research that I found online and try to keep like my personal thoughts out of it for this one because I don't know. I just don't feel like I'm at a place in my life where I can truly and objectively judge this. But it is something that I think we need to talk about. So let's talk about it. I'm gonna start by telling you a little bit about my history with family YouTube channels. So as I told you in the last episode, my favorite genre of YouTube videos is vlogs. Vlogs for the uninitiated are essentially a follow me around style video where this person takes you through their day or through their week and shows you maybe what they're eating, what they're doing, um, what they're doing with their friends, different events they're going to, etc. And they range a great deal in production value. They range from someone filming on their phone or even like a point and shoot camera or something like that, all the way to Casey Neistat, like drone footage, DSLR cameras, like all of it. And they range from very mundane and slow to very fast paced. It runs the gamut in terms of what a vlog looks like, but the content is, it's about this person's life. They're taking you around with them as they go about their life. In my mind, this is the type of content that's easiest to attach yourself to in terms of a parasocial relationship. In my opinion, it's also the easiest genre of YouTube videos to escape into, to escape your own life. Like anything that you may want to distract yourself from, it can be done with a with a good vlog. I've watched YouTube since like 2005, 2006, basically since the website's inception, 
but I didn't really watch any family vloggers until I went away to university when I guess I was like 18 or 19. I was living by myself for the first time and I was in a brand new city and I'll be honest, I had a really hard time making friends. I was pretty lonely, like I was pretty, I was pretty homesick. I'd never done anything like that before. I, there was a lot to get used to. Um, and my life just became about going to class, going to the gym, coming home. Like I didn't, I'll be perfectly honest with you and tell you, I didn't have much of a social life at that time. I found the Shaytards or Shay Carl and his family. Uh, and you can look up that name on YouTube and you'll find, I don't know, at this point, well over a decade, certainly, of videos. Gosh, maybe close to two because I'm getting older. But I remember at this point when I when I had moved away for school and everything, they were pregnant, I think, with one of their kids. And I just remember watching every day and like waiting for this baby to be born and feeling like this family was like so wholesome and for whatever reason, I enjoyed seeing what they were up to and I enjoyed like watching those kids grow like as the months went by, which when I say it out loud sounds very strange because I don't know those kids. Why am I watching them grow up? You know what I mean? It's kind of like reality TV in the sense where you get attracted to the character. You get invested in them and you want to see how it pans out. You just like want to see what happens. And that's exactly what I did. And at that point, I think they were daily vlogging. And so I would watch like every single day. I remember that bringing me a great deal of comfort. And I knew at the time, I'm like, this is like, like, what am I doing? Like. <laughs> And it was, as I say, like they were uploading at the same time every single day. And it was something that I could depend on when the rest of my life seemed very up in the air, as I'm sure you can relate to. I was a young adult. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I found a great deal of solace in the idea that when I come home, from class, when I finish all my homework, when I am done for the day, I can rely on this family to post a video and for me to like sort of embrace whatever it is that they're doing and they're living through for like 20 odd minutes, you know? By the way, I later in life, after I graduated university, my first job out of university was at a YouTube network. <laughs> And I worked in sales and I would sign YouTubers. And that's about all I'm going to say about that. But suffice to say, I feel like this is an area <laughs> of the internet and just an, a subject in life that I feel like I've studied quite extensively. And I've always loved watching vlogs. That continues to this day. I don't watch any family vloggers at this point. And I stopped because... I felt weird about it. I felt weird about it. There's one particular YouTuber who I started watching before they had a family when they made vlogs about their own life and now they're married and they have kids. And like their kids are really cute and it's really nice to see how they're growing and 
oh, they're saying their first words, they're learning to walk, they they used to only be able to say this word, but now they can say it like, you know what I mean? And it just, um, I got really creeped out uh, by the idea that I know so much about these kids and that it's just all out there for anybody to to see and find. And um, I just felt really uncomfy with that and I couldn't distract myself from that. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to unsubscribe and it's just weird. It's it's really weird, you know, and obviously these people make money from those YouTube channels where they're showing their kids on a daily basis. So that alone, there's something to be said about that. So the overarching problems that one could suggest with this, right? Like we've talked about whatever. You find comfort in it. You can distract yourself from your own life. Chances are, if you're watching any of these family vloggers, you're going to consume this content like you would any other type of content, just like you would the news or your favorite TV show or your favorite reality show or whatever it may be. And chances are you'll find a lot of comfort in it and you'll sort of find yourself living vicariously through them and, you know, enjoy seeing their kids go through certain milestones, etc. And chances are it'll end there. That'll be your relationship with this family, right? Obviously, the overarching problems potentially with that would be that information about these kids can easily get into the hands of, let's say, the wrong people. Anyone with internet access, you don't even, you don't need to have any sort of, you don't need to, you know, be 18 or over. You don't need to, you don't even need like an account on YouTube to to be able to see often a daily picture of a child's life. Every single day for a lot of these family vloggers from the time their child is in the womb to the time that child graduates high school, every single day is documented. It's not hard to imagine that that would have detrimental effects on that child. Another thing is these children often become, you know, a central figure in their parents' YouTube videos, often to the point where their parents make social media profiles for them. Like, you know, a three-year-old child will have an Instagram account, kind of like people do with their pets. And they'll include like account managed by mom and dad in their bio. I read an article on medium.com that was called Until Children Are Protected, Family YouTube Channels Should Not Exist by Alice LeMay. And this article talks about how the first crop of videos on like family channels were mostly quote unquote pranks where kids would unknowingly be at the receiving end of, of jokes, of pranks that their parents were playing on them. And it says, quote, It's easy to want to dismiss this perceived silliness, yet keep in mind, children are particularly sensitive and gullible, unquote. Yeah, pranks aren't anything that I have ever been interested in um, on YouTube at all. It's never been a genre that I've found even remotely entertaining. But 
it has gone in and out of favor for sure. And when kids are involved, yeah, that's that's something. And it's made more perhaps problematic by clickbait titles and clickbait thumbnails where maybe a kid will be crying or made to look like they're crying or really upset or endangered in some way. Uh, it's pretty troubling to see. Later in the article, it says, quote, if parents are supposed to serve as guardians, what happens when they start to make significantly large amounts of revenue from documenting their children's lives? In this case, parents shift into employers and what's right for the children becomes what's right for the business, unquote. This brings about this question of even if the kids seem totally on board with it right now, if they seem to really love being in the vlogs and really love making TikToks with their parents or whatever it is that they're up to, who knows, like down the line, like we're really not far away from like in five or 10 years, maybe there are gonna be some like lawsuits popping up or you're just gonna hear stories of children who really wish that their entire lives every single day uh, weren't documented for the entire world to see. I should say too that once again, there's a lot of variability in these family vlogs. I know that some family vloggers have a ton of like parameters around what they will and will not show. Like I've heard people say like, I won't show my son when they're upset or when they're angry or I'm only gonna show my daughter for this percentage of the video rather than the entire thing. I don't know, it's, to me that's a bit hard to measure and ultimately like obviously the kids can't consent to being in these videos and particularly if they're very young, they can't really understand what's happening, right? They can't really understand who's on the other side of this camera. It gets really tricky in terms of like, what is okay to show of these minors on the internet, um, particularly on like a daily or even weekly basis, and what's going to happen um, once they sort of grow out of their like formative years and become young adults and get recognized on the street or in university or who knows where for being in these family vlogs. Like who knows what the repercussions of that are. I can't imagine, you know, moving away to school and having people know me because they've watched me every single day, like because of my parents' business. Like it's, it must be so bizarre. There's also an article by ARC UNSW Student Life called Why Family and Children's YouTube Channels Are Problematic that really dove into like a few specific examples of family channels that ended very poorly to say the least. And I don't feel comfortable naming those YouTube channels here. Obviously they're named in the articles and those are in the show notes if you wanna go see. I feel a little weird calling out the names of those channels and potentially drawing attention to that family like again, you know what I mean? So it's out there, it's very highly publicized, but I'm just not gonna name them here. But there was one very popular YouTube channel in 2017 that involved a series of vlogs and prank videos that 
in particular focus on the eldest child in that family being physically and verbally abusive to their younger siblings. That behavior was then encouraged by the father in the family, and he would post videos where he would blame his kids for making some sort of like mistake and just generally, you know, screaming at them and berating them. And that individual actually lost custody of two of his children, was placed on probation, and his channel was ultimately deleted off of YouTube. This article talks about another family that I won't name who has an Instagram account for their eldest daughter that has almost 5 million followers on it as of the time of that article. The article goes on to say that even if these posts and the videos on YouTube are well-intentioned, it really doesn't matter according to this article because they're still violating that child's privacy and uploading those videos and those posts without the child's consent since that child cannot even fully understand what consent is. It says, quote, even the family has admitted that they attract stalkers, meaning that some of their audience is a potential threat to their daughter. This is not to mention the psychological effects of having your whole life documented for the world. This is not the life this three-year-old chose for herself, unquote. And there's also this idea that, like, it's the internet. We have the Wayback Machine. Is anything ever really gone? There's a quote from this article that says, quote, The internet is forever, and even if they grow up one day and have their parents remove the videos, somewhere out there there will always be a copy. There is no separation between personal family life and the life they portray on the internet. Everything is up for grabs from doctor's visits and playdates to the more intimate moments of your childhood that you probably wouldn't want strangers viewing as they please, unquote. Like imagine, imagine having your childhood play out on the internet. Like even the things that I thought weren't embarrassing at the time, I would look back and go like, oh my gosh, how... How embarrassing. There's stuff I said a year ago, like that's in my Instagram archive that comes up when it's like exactly a year later, you know? And I'll watch it, remembering that I thought it was funny at the time that I posted it. And now I watch it and I go, that's not, that's not funny. I'm embarrassed that I posted that. (laughs) And it's just like something stupid, like some comment about ice cream or I don't even know. I I can't imagine how it would feel to be in the position of a a child of a family vlogger. Kind of the last thing I want to touch on here is something I found in a Reddit forum. And I'll just say the title of it is, I was brought up by family vloggers and it ruined my life. So this is an anonymous account from someone whose parents family vlogged. And I'm just going to read to you some parts of it because um, it definitely, it made me pretty sad, you know? It says they're 17 years old now. And it says, quote, I was brought up by my parents who family vlogged. They started vlogging when I was around seven and stopped three years ago. I want to hugely avoid speculation as to who my family is, so won't be sharing much more detail. The channel had over 500,000 subscribers. My parents finally stopped when there was a mental health crisis in my family as a result of the channel. And then in parentheticals, it says, this was never shared online, unquote. Later in the post, it says, quote, I loved it for a while. I loved being center of attention while the camera was on, and I loved getting more toys. 
I stopped loving it when I realized the only time I got attention was when the camera was on, and the only time I got toys was when I performed in the way I was meant to, unquote. So they go on to say that they and their siblings also felt really uncomfortable even changing their clothes in their own house because they thought maybe there were cameras on at any given moment. They talk about feeling like they could never get a single private moment. No matter where they are in their own home, um, they just felt sort of uncomfortable by the sounds of things. That's so sad to hear about, to say the very least, that someone would have to go through their entire childhood feeling that way. And uh, I just want to finish with something that I feel like sums up the negative aspects of family channels. Um, that's in an article, it's on veniceorsman.com and it's called Family Vlog Channels Are Everything Wrong With YouTube. So this clearly has a perspective. It says, quote, most of the time, these kids are introduced to social media and the internet at a very young age or even before birth. By the time they realize what's going on and the extent of who's watching them online, they feel as though they can't opt out of being in videos because vlogs are all they've ever known. This goes without mentioning that it's because of these children that families are able to afford things like new cars, million dollar mansions, and even luxury brands on the daily, seeing as though most of these internet families make the vast majority of their money from their YouTube vlog channels. Ultimately, I'm, I'm going to pass the question off to you and say, where would you draw the line? What do you think is okay? Do you think that kids shouldn't be on YouTube, period? Like, because they can't consent to being recorded and can't possibly understand the potential implications of that? Or do you think that parents should be able to make an individual decision on how much of their children can be documented, even, even if that documentation results in monetary gain for those parents. What, what do you think? What stays private? What should be made available to the public, if anything? Let me know. I would like to hear. I, I, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, I'm curious what you think. If you have thoughts, again, you can DM me at Sarah Supergreat, S-A-R-A-H, S-U-P-E-R-G-R, and then the number eight. You can send me an email at haven'tmetemyet at gmail.com. You can share this episode on Instagram. I will share it as well. If you share it, I'll share your sharing. You know what I mean? Uh, You can share it with your friends. You can leave me a nice little review. That would be so sweet. And yeah, I'll see you next time. Let me know what parasocial relationship stories you want to hear about too, because I would love your suggestions. So that's it for me. Have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you next time.